light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Hello. Seriously? Hello. <laughs> like two people, everybody else sleeping or caught up in the heavens, but that's okay too. Oh man, oh man, oh man, oh man. Well, a um, couple things before I forget, before we jump into John 12, is this is a church, this is a family. Um, we have been brought together for a reason at this time, um, mostly on this side of the church building, looks like, a little less on this side, a little more social distance over here, good work, good work. Um, real good up there, by the way. Balcony, you're looking so strong up there, awesome. If, there's, if, you're, if you feel like people are too close to you right now, you can, you can go up there, that's, that's looking real good up there. Um, but yeah, we're trying to move forward in this year of, of kind of, challenge and disruption and uncertainty. Um, we're we're going to try and finish this year. Luckily, 2020 can only go for like a few more months. Then it has to go away. You can't keep going. Um, and then we'll start the new year, and we're all so excited about all the wonders 2021 holds for us, right? <laughs> we'll see. But anyways, it's kind of been this interesting time, um, and uh, and it's it's been a joy for me to... Um, be a part of leading this church as well as be a part of this church family. I mean, you guys have just been awesome, and I'm so thankful to be a part of this family. Um, but as we're going into the rest of this year, what we, what we try and do year over year is really call everyone together from time to time um, to where we can knit our hearts together, to where we can kind of learn together, we can get to know each other. Um, we've had a bunch of new people um, start joining the church recently. And so um, in the past years, we've done things like vision nights, fam nights. We did the urban kinetic nights where we all got together and went and served different parts of the community. Um, last, last year, we launched life groups to kind of get everybody together in homes. Um, and so this year, we're going to do that again, October 21st, 28th, November 4th, 11th, and 18th. Those five, those five Wednesday nights, we are asking for everyone who wants to be a part of Living Streams, who considers them part of Living Streams, to come to those five nights so we can be together, we can get to know each other, we can sit around tables and multi-generational dynamics, we can find out who each other are, we can knit our hearts together, we can be uni unified more, um, but then also we're gonna focus on evangelism. And I saved that for the end because I knew everybody would be like, ah, oh, never mind, <laughs> I'm out. Evangelism, that word is strange and confusing and probably conjures up images of giant stadiums or street preachers screaming in megaphones. Um, not to say any of those things are necessarily wrong, um, but what we're gonna do is we really feel like God is calling us to consecration, intercession, and evangelism. We feel like part of our spiritual formation we've been focusing on this year is, um, is to get to a place where we realize you are not really a full follower of Jesus until you are helping someone else follow Jesus. And so we really are going to focus on evangelism, but we're going to make it fun. Right. 
You believe me? Um, we're going to have food together. It's going to be good in that regard. Um, it's, we're not, I've kind of jokingly called this like good news nights, which I know can sound so cheesy. But we've had so much bad news over this time that we're going to really try and focus on some good news for a little while. Um, we're going to be together. You're going to get to know um, each other. And, uh, and a couple of things that we're wanting to do, we could put them up here, but we want fam nights to demystify um, evangelism and, and make it fun. So, you know, it's the fall, um, and so we're going to try and bring a lot of fall things, which we all in, in Phoenix love fall. Um, my wife has like a little thing up that says, I'm so thankful that there's a thing called October <laughs> um, in, in our house. And so we're going to have like, every time we're going to do something that's really like hard to swallow or some kind of awkward evangelism thing, we're going to make sure everybody has pumpkin spice um, to go along with it. So it's going to be kind of like a phalangelism combo mashup, whatever. Where is he? Where is he? That's Arthur's, by the way. He, that's a good one. Um, we, want, we want people to understand that people's eternities are hanging in the balance. If we take the scripture seriously and the life of Jesus seriously, um, we, we, need to, we need to understand this. Um, we, want, we want everyone to learn that nothing makes Jesus happier than when we tell others about him. Um, as you look at the life of Christ, what he told his disciples in the end was, look, if you missed anything, if you, if you missed all that I just did and, and showed you, would you just get this right? Can you go and tell people about me? That's just his, his final call to his disciples. And then, like I mentioned, you're not fully following Jesus until you are helping someone else follow Jesus. Um, and so we forget that, that last aspect of our discipleship process that's so important. So will you join me on Wednesdays for five Wednesday nights? Um, I'm not even expecting perfection. If you come to four of them, you get an A. You come to three of them, you pass. You come to two of them, we're gonna have words. No, we're not gonna have words. Um, but I, I really do, I mean, I know it's challenging, but I think, I think we're gonna be a lot stronger if we can actually get together at a church. And uh, again, this is a church that's not looking for just people who can kinda go to a show and go. Um, we want to build our lives together. We wanna see what can happen if we really do this seriously and meet together. In the first church, they met every day from house to house. Um, breaking bread together. We're just talking about like five, you know, so it's not that big a deal. All right, that's going on. You can find out more information online. Um, also, baptism coming up at the end of the month. If you haven't been baptized, you can find out more information about that. John chapter 12. In this story, we get to learn about Jesus getting his feet washed with oil and hair. Jesus rides a donkey like a boss. He predicts his death and plays hide and seek. Sound fun? Let's do it. John chapter 12. Um, and before we jump in, I just, I don't want to read this verse. It's from Romans chapter 12. Um, and uh, it, it's, it kind of encapsulates the whole message. And uh, it says this. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God and then you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of maturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. Um, this, this idea of consecration 
has been extremely heavy on my heart. And even as I got ready to preach this morning, um, I just felt this heaviness, this like weight on me that this was such an important concept for us to grasp right now. That basically we're kind of stumbling into some deep, deep treasure in, in, in Christianity. And so I, I really wanna make sure that we get this right. But John chapter 12 says this. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So six days before the Passover, Passover was this, this feast that was you know, practiced by the Jews for a long, long time, commemorating um, the time they were rescued from the Egyptians. And there was kind of a whole lead up to this Passover time where everyone would gather in Jerusalem. Jerusalem would overflow with people and there would be all kinds of this getting together with families, these parties, all these things um, as people gathered. And, and then um, Bethany was a town just outside of Jerusalem where, where Jesus and disciples would stay probably with Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. Um, but that's kind of what's going on. So this, this is leading up to Passover, and this is the last week of Jesus' life. This is his Passion Week. Um, so we're all kind of culminating, coming towards that moment. And so six days before that, um, he was in Beth Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus raised from the dead, the chapter before. We just saw that. Um, here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, of course, um, she was an Enneagram too, probably. While Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him, probably an Enneagram nine, just you know, kind of hanging out. Sometimes he's dead, sometimes he's hanging out. Not doing a lot of work. <laughs> then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So here in this moment, we're gonna learn about um, Mary's heart. We're gonna learn about a consecrated heart and what it looks like. And we're gonna learn about some other types of hearts in this, in this chapter as well. But Mary had a consecrated heart. Mary comes to this, this, this party that's going on in Jesus' honor. And a lot of commentaries think that this was possibly a, a, a gathering that was planned, um, kind of like a funeral, um, gathering for Lazarus that was already planned. That, that the, they, Lazarus had been dead for four days, so they got together and said, well, let's get everybody together. Um, uh, the other gospels say it's Simon the leper's house. Let's get everybody together at his house and, and we'll um, have this funeral for Lazarus. But now because Jesus changed things a little bit, you know, um, and Lazarus is now alive, they said, well, let's keep the party, let's keep the gathering, but let's make it a party celebrating Jesus. And, and, and the other, um, the synoptic gospels say that it was at Simon the leper's house, which means that if Simon was a leper, that he can't be a leper anymore because otherwise he couldn't have people to his house. So Simon the leper was having a party for Jesus because he's no longer a leper, probably because of Jesus. Lazarus is no longer dead because of Jesus. Let's invite all the people who are no longer this because of Jesus. And they're all gathering together to celebrate Jesus. So it's kind of a really cool moment of people. Now, John has oftentimes told us there was a lot of division about Jesus. Some believed that he was a great teacher. Some believed he was a prophet. Some believed he was a, a liar or a deceiver. Some believed he was demon-possessed. And some believed he was the Messiah. Now, all of these gathering are not very divided whether Jesus is a liar or telling the truth. They all know that there is something very significant about Jesus. They are either already at the place believing he is Messiah, 
God come in the flesh to save the world from, the sin and, from sin and death, or they're right on the cusp of believing that. And in the midst of this place, Mary, so stirred within herself, has either brought or has gone to get the most precious thing she owns. This extremely valuable thing. Now, a woman in first century Israel was probably extremely poor, has no status or value at all, is completely and utterly dependent on a father, a mother, or a brother, or father, or brother, or an uncle, some man that will be able to care for her, protect for her, and provide for her. And so what she has here is something that was probably given to her by her father. And a lot of people think this is probably something like her dowry. This thing of value that she has that would make her someone that, that, that people would want to marry, someone would want to marry. So that if for some reason a guy takes an interest in her and comes to like want to marry her, then she would be able to give him something that would make it worth his while besides hopefully love and all of that. So what she has here is something that it basically is her security, it's her identity, it's her future, it's her hope for marriage, it's, it's, it's all of that. And at this moment in her life, she is coming to Jesus in the midst of this crowded room and she pours it all out on Jesus' feet. And then takes her hair and starts wiping his feet. Now again, in this culture, for a woman to touch a man, a woman to touch a man's feet, a woman's to touch a man's feet with her hair is a very intimate thing. And it's a very scandalous thing. And so all the people in that, in that room, Jesus included, are having to try and figure out what is the intention of Mary in this moment. And all the people in this room, you and I, <laughs> trying to figure out what is the intention of Mary. And there's a spectrum. It's anywhere from this is actually Mary kind of doing something. She's fallen in love with Jesus, and she wants Jesus to marry her. Maybe she has that thought. I don't know. It could also be on the other side of the spectrum that, that Mary is actually just kind of saying, you know what? I believe you are the Messiah. I am no longer at all confused about this. You raised my brother from the dead. I am giving myself completely to you. You are the man of my life. You are the one I am looking to for protection, provision. You are the one that everything I belong to is yours. I'm consecrating myself to you. And I think it's pretty easy to say if you look at Jesus' response in this and the other synoptic gospels that it was much more along those lines of what Mary was doing. You can think of it a lot like maybe a nun you know, giving her vows, the vow of chastity, poverty, and obedience. Let's look at those vows. This is, this is basically what a nun does when they give their vows of dedicating their life to Jesus. There's a vow of poverty. 
The vow of poverty leads Anon to imitate Jesus, who for our sake became poor, although he was very rich. It helps her to be poor in spirit as well as in fact, and to live a life of labor and moderation. By the vow of poverty, she gives up the right to control or benefit from personal property and commits herself to live independently within a community according to its constitutions. The purpose of this vow is to free her from being fascinated by material things so that she may be free to serve others. In addition to that, there's a vow of chastity. The vow of chastity leads an unto imitate Jesus who was chaste. This vow frees her from the demands of an exclusive human relationship so that she can give all her love to God and through God to all people. By the vow, she promises not to marry or to engage in romantic behavior or sexual acts. A vow of obedience also comes. The vow of obedience leads the nun to imitate the obedience of Jesus Christ by seeking God's will for her and obeying her lawful superiors according to the constitutions of a particular group. As a member of a religious community, she searches for the will of God, not in arbitrary commands, but in prayerful reflection and dialogue with others. And I'm not proposing here that we all become nuns because, well, at least a bunch of us can't, you know. But I am wanting us to admire this. I'm wanting us to learn about consecration. I'm wanting us to learn about devotion. I'm wanting us to learn about worship. I'm wanting us to feel a little bit of shame at the way that we treat Jesus. And how if Jesus was here, would we pour out the most valuable thing we have at his feet? Or would we give him some and keep a backup plan just in case? What Mary did here was so beautiful, so amazing. She does this act of pure affection and scandalous extravagance, declaring that she is giving herself completely to Jesus for the rest of her life. You can almost hear the songs Jay Murphy's been teaching us over the last little while. I am yours, I am yours. For all my days, Jesus, I am yours. Oh, my heart will sing no other name, Jesus. Jesus, or what the one he's been teaching us lately, um, where we're trying to figure out what moves God's heart. Is it a fragrance? Then I'll pour my oil out. Is it a life laid down? Then here I give my vows. Is it a song I sing? Then here's every melody. Just tell me what moves you, Jesus. And this is the cry of her heart. This is the purity of heart. She is willing one thing, and that is to be in the presence of Jesus. She sees him for, he really, for who he really is, and she's compelled to worship. And then we go on to see a different kind of heart. Verse four, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. <laughs> it's just like, what did the Bible just say? 
Are you serious here? Like John's writing this, this letter, this, this, this book, um, probably 60 years later after this event. But I, it was like, did they know in the moment that Judas was like helping himself? Did they find out later? I don't know, but it's so bizarre that he was in charge of the money and they were like, yeah, every once in a while he'd just take a little bit for himself. It's like, well, get somebody else in charge of the money. Is it that hard to figure out? But obviously there was something else going on. But Judas, when he sees this act of absolute extravagance, pure affection and scandalous extravagance, his heart is not moved in the same way. What happens in his heart is he sees the money which reveals something about his heart. And though Mary had a consecrated heart, Judas had a divided heart. He has a divided heart. He loves Jesus. I really do think he did. He was following Jesus. How could you not see what Jesus did and not believe and not love Jesus and what he was about? But the problem was, it wasn't that he didn't love Jesus. The problem was he loved something else as well. He loved money. He, he, he tried to serve God and mammon, right, as Jesus said. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. You will learn to love the one and hate the other. And Judas was there when Jesus said that. And as Judas continued to, to foster that divided heart, to be okay with that divided heart, it ultimately led him to do a very hateful thing. As he kissed Jesus on the, tree, on the cheek to identify who he was, so that he could be arrested and killed. And the truth is that most of us have divided hearts. I wish I could say that we're all here with these consecrated hearts, but we have divided hearts and we have to be very careful of these divided hearts. If we continue to allow them to be divided, will end up causing us to love one and hate the other. It might not be money. It could be a lot of different things. Security. It could be convenience or comfort. It could be a person. These other things that we love that will become ultimate things if we're not very careful. Um, some verses to go along with that. You cannot serve two masters. We talked about that. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways is what James says. You can almost think of the songs coming out of Judas's heart. I just wanna move your heart and get rich at the same time. I am yours as long as it works out good for me. I am yours as long as I get to hear that ching ching. My heart will sing just a few names like Jesus. Comfort, security, money, whatever. Sorry about that. I'm glad you laughed because I, 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 I told my wife that last night and she said, do people laugh when you th say things like that? <laughs> I was like, sometimes, but there you go. I forgot to do that first service too, so you guys are lucky. But don't come to mid middle service anymore. Come to first service. There's just way more room there. Actually, there's not room anywhere anymore, so just do what you want. Um, <laughs> Just don't invite anybody to come with you. No, do that too. See the balcony? There's room up there. Um, it's awesome. It's awesome. 
Um, but anyways, that's that divided heart, and we have to watch out for that. Um, in our church, we, we've been having this, this three-month-long debate in our elder team, um, and the three-month-long three debate has been over the PPP. Um, for those of you who know that is, that's the, that's the part of the, the stimulus plan that the government gave to small businesses so that they could not have to let anybody go um, during this challenging time. And uh, so we, we actually applied for it, just trying to be proactive and say, okay, if that's part of doing business in America, that's wonderful. Um, and, uh, and so we applied for the PPP and, and we didn't get it at first and it was like, okay, well now we don't have to worry about it. But then we did get it on the second time around and uh, then we had it and all of us were like, okay, well that's cool um, and we'll see what happens. But then the faithfulness of the Living Streams Church, the faithfulness of God has um, been able to sustain us through to where we haven't had to tap fully into an, our, our own emergency fund. We did have to cut expenses and be real careful that way, but we haven't really got to a place where we have needed the money for the PPP, so now it's saying, what do we do? And the debate began, and we wrestled it out, and some people were like, well, we're gonna spend it better than the government will. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, that's probably true. Um, and, uh, and other people are like, we should give it back, and other people are like, come on, man, it's part of doing business in America. It's not like we're doing anything cheating or anything like that. And, we just went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And it was very interesting. Um, and, uh, and then on Wednesday, um, kind of in, a, in almost like a solemn way, we all finally came to a unanimous decision and we decided to give it back. And uh, that's, not, that's not to say everybody should do that. I mean, everybody's got their own situations. But, uh, but it, it really just kind of came down to this thing where you know, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we really want to trust in the name of the Lord our God. And uh, it just kind of settled on all of our hearts. And even though there was like a lot of division, obviously, you know, even, even in our elder team, it was like all of a sudden I started, it was getting a little political here and there, and it was like, no, let's not go there. And so everybody, we were able to kind of like root that out and make sure this isn't gonna be a divisive thing. But then we all landed on that, and it was just such this beautiful moment where really what it felt like is we were saying ultimately, we want to consecrate ourselves to God alone. And that was a decision. It was like that was something we could do. That was an application for us. And then it was funny because right after that I go, okay, well, let me tell you about all the things that I think the Lord's calling us to that are going to cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. And they were like, what? And I was like, no, you decided. No. Uh, it was just kind of funny. But, and next year, who knows, maybe we'll have a lot of challenges. We'll be like, come on, man, why don't we just do it? But whatever. This was just where we're at right now. Is we really felt, and then it's so cool because then I started to get deeper into my study and realized that this is something the Lord's wanting us to do as a church um, and as individuals and as families to figure out what consecration means for us. So again, please don't hear me saying that every business should give it back. I am not saying that. You get to decide between you and the Lord what you're supposed to do. But in this place, that's what our elders decided and uh, I thought it was, it was beautiful in the end. So that's the divided heart, watching out for those divided hearts. Um, and one last thing on that is, who here loves money? Yes, the only honest person in the whole place. All of you love money. We all love it. We love it. It's awesome. We're all that duck, Scrooge McDuck, swimming in that gold coin if we could. <laughs> Anybody know what that is? <laughs> I love that show when I was a kid. But um, anyways, we all love money. It's true. We have to root it out. We have to fight against it. Um, it's not like, you know, we have to decide whether we have, we do, we have to, we have to watch out for that. And then this next thing is the, um, is the jealous heart or the, um, the insecure heart. 
It says this in, in verse nine. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests, the people of God, the pastors like me, they made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. This was not a, not a great moment in church leadership. <laughs> it's unbelievable that in their hearts, when they witnessed what Jesus had done, when they encountered the living God, it threatened their security, it threatened their identity that everything was wrapped up in, their value was wrapped up in. And so they decided the best thing to do was to kill Jesus, we already know that, but now even to kill Lazarus because of what he represents. And if we don't consecrate our hearts to God, if we allow ourselves to take on identities that are not from the Lord, if we allow ourselves to find security in things that are not of the Lord, we're gonna find ourselves far from the Lord. And in America, we're just like those people wanting to build that Tower of Babel. They built that Tower of Babel just after the flood because they'd heard stories of the flood and they thought if we can build this tower high enough then maybe we can live above whatever flood might come. Maybe we can insulate ourselves from God. And here in America and other parts of the world, we have to be careful that we don't get so good at retirement, insurance, savings, all of these things that we find ourselves insulating ourselves even from God. Please don't do anything weird with what I just said. <laughs> If you want to talk it out more, I'd love to. I don't know the answers, but I just don't want us to insulate ourselves from God. I don't want to miss Jesus at all. And here are these chief priests, the people who knew the Bible the best, who spent all their time supposedly consecrating themselves to God, completely missed Jesus, completely missed him. They love to make themselves feel superior. They love the position in society that loving God got them and living pious gave them. They love to be in control of what God does and doesn't do. Their, jealous, their jealousy blinded their heart from seeing God in the flesh, which was the answer to all their prayers. And if you go on, the next thing that happens is Jesus rides the donkey into Jerusalem, the triumphal entry, and the response of all of that is they're upset and frustrated that the people are following Jesus. They miss even that moment, and on and on it goes. And then in verse, 30, uh, verse um, 42, after all these things, it says, yep, at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue for they loved human praise more than the praise of God. This is what describes their hearts. The Christian, not Christian at that time, but would describe the Christian's heart today, the chief priests and, and leaders in the church of that day. They loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. And we have to be so careful of that. Remember, God doesn't want to make us good at church. <laughs> it doesn't do anything for anybody. He wants to make us good at life.
We gotta watch out for that type of heart. Um, there's, a, there's this verse that I read at the beginning and I wanna just conclude by reading this again to kind of help us understand what God is trying to do in our time. So here's what I want you to do, Paul says, with God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. God is trying to make us into the image of Christ. And if we will give our attention and affection to him, we will find that work being done. If we give our attention and affection to something else, we'll be formed in the way that they want to. Do you know that Instagram is trying to form you? Do you know that it is trying to get all your attention and affection? The people who run these businesses, they've, they've realized that we are made to worship. And they've figured out how to monetize our attention. And again, I'm not saying any of those things are bad, but, but they, they've figured out that we are geared to give attention and affection to things. And so if they can capitalize on that and monetize that, then they'll get rich. And so there's all these things that are super sophisticated trying to get our attention and affection, trying to get our worship. And we just have to be careful that first and foremost, we belong to God. We consecrated ourselves to him. There's a story in the, in the Old Testament of Moses who has his, his merry moment. He's up on the, the mountain of God and the whole mountain is burning with fire. And he's been through the Red Sea. He's been through the 10 plagues. He's talked with the burning bush God that now is the burning mountain God. And he's up in that mountain for 40 days no food or water that we know of. God called all the people up, but all of them were scared and Moses alone went. And there in that mountain, Moses says something. He says, God, can I see you? Basically what he says is, show me your glory. And the word glory in the Hebrew is, is kabod, which you probably say something like or something like that. I'm not that great at Hebrew. But it means substance. Moses says, God, I've seen all the things that you can do, and it's awesome, and I'm completely following you, but is it possible for me to see you? I want your presence. And then he says, God, I know you're taking us to the promised land, and it sounds great, but he says, he says I don't want to go to the promised land if you're not going to go with us. I don't even want the promise if it doesn't come with your presence, because your presence is everything. I would rather wander around in this wilderness for the rest of my life, accessing your presence, than to be somewhere where there's a lot of security and abundance and convenience without you. And I, I'm just, I just know that's what God is trying to stir up in our hearts. 
I know that's what God is trying to do in the church. I know that's, that this disruption can give way to this, a people that are more fully and completely consecrated to the lover of their soul and more formed into his image because that's what you need, that's what your spouse needs, that's what your kids need, that's what a broken world needs, is all of us more formed into the image of the beautiful Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we are here and we hear your, we hear your, your plea. We hear your call to us. We hear you as the lover of our souls, asking us to come away with you. Asking us to leave some of those other loves behind and to come fully into your love. And I pray that you would really, by your spirit, show us what we need to leave behind whether it's sin or just weight, whether it's wrong or whether it's just culture. We wanna to belong to you. Please help us, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Well, if you're new to Christ or not sure if you've ever really surrendered your life to Christ, today is a good day for that. Um, the beauty of what Christ is asking us to do is not something new, it's what he has done for us. He completely gave himself to us, even to the point of death on a cross. And now he's asking that because of that, you would give your life to him. And when you give your life to him, he begins to do the work of shaping and forming and teaching and guiding. But you, but you do have to give your life to him. And if you wanna do that today, you could come up front. We got some people on the sides that would love to pray with you in that regard. Um, also, we have a baptism coming up at the end of the month. If you have not been baptized, this is a great biblical step of consecration, of saying, I'm done with everything else. I'm all in with you, Jesus. So please make sure you do that. Um, and other than that, let's all stand as we sing one last song to our Savior.